It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. Joyce Miller returns Thursday. In the meantime, you're stuck with me. I'm Kelly Reese and this is the KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report. A new investigation by the Los Angeles Times shows displacement due to infrastructure projects is still prevalent today nearly two-thirds of which affect Black and Latino residents. We'll take a look at local headlines and weather before Felton Pruitt speaks to Tahoe Fund CEO Amy Berry about the new Caldor Trails Restoration Fund. Then it's Money Matters with Mark Cuniverti to close out tonight's newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is scheduled to join Port of Los Angeles officials to discuss the latest on the backups and supply chain delays. This comes a day after the port's executive director, Gene Soroka, announced he's postponing fines for shipping companies. The fines were going to be levied for letting shipping containers stack up at terminals. The so-called container dwell fee was approved last month as a way to help alleviate a backlog of ships that had interrupted the global supply chain. Now they won't be charged until at least November 22nd. For now, port personnel will monitor the docks to see how much improvement they can get without having to levy the fines. Since the fines were announced in late October, the twin ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach have seen a 26% decline in cargo on the docks. With President Biden signing the massive infrastructure bill yesterday, the numbers are in on exactly how much California will receive. The bulk of the money, more than $25 billion over five years, is being allocated to repair roads that are in poor condition. Nearly $8 billion will be used to repair bridges and improve water infrastructure. Another $84 million will help with wildfire protection after California suffered through destructive and deadly wildfires in recent years. And Governor Gavin Newsom says the infrastructure package will not only kickstart work on numerous transportation projects in the state, it'll also create thousands of jobs. In the 1950s and 60s, the United States created its modern freeway and highway system. It was an engineering marvel, but it also brought pain and injustice, like when poor communities of color literally saw their neighborhoods paved over, forcing residents to move. A new investigation by the Los Angeles Times reports that kind of displacement still happens today when new infrastructure is built. I spoke with Times reporter Liam Dillon, who covers neighborhood change for the Times, about the new findings. So we have national data from the Federal Highway Administration that we analyzed that said uh, more than 200,000 people across the country had been displaced by road projects over the past three decades. And what we found in the projects that we were able to examine, and we looked at uh, 22 of them across, across five states, including California, of course, is that you know nearly two-thirds of these projects had displacements that disproportionately affected Black and now Latino communities. And so these original patterns that we saw in the 50s and 60s in many ways are still being replicated to this day. And and I assume with the passage of this massive new infrastructure legislation that looking ahead, there are concerns that even more of this could happen in the future. Well, that's the thing. You know, U.S. uh, Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has talked a lot about the racist history of highway construction and that it's incumbent upon the administration to sort of do something about that. And they tout that in the bill, um, you know, a billion dollars that was allocated or that's been allocated 
to sort of reconnect communities, what they call it, kind of tear down freeways and do things that aim to fix some of the harms that occurred a half century ago. However, here's the sort of the rub with that. There's hundreds of billions of dollars um, in that bill that is, you know, mostly unrestricted that could go to State Department of Transportation, where they could use that to further expand uh, the highway network and continue to displace more people. What about the argument, hey, you know, it affects some people negatively. That's terrible. Maybe they can get some sort of market value for their homes if they're living in, in homes or be resettled in new apartments. But what do you say to the people who say that, as terrible as it is, is a reasonable price to pay for expanding our freeways so it's easier to get from point A to point B to point C? What about that argument? Right. And you sort of see this well as, you know, yet this is unfortunate, but sort of the price of progress, right? Like that's the argument that's being made. The issue, though, is that, you know, there's now a substantial amount of academic research that indicates that new road building and freeway widenings doesn't actually ease the congestion problems that they sort of are aimed to solve. And I think, you know, obviously California or LA or Southern California listeners specifically would be aware of the Interstate 405 widening through Sepulveda Pass, you know, seven years ago, this was the, you know, famed Carmageddon example, right? Where, where they closed, where they closed the entire freeway down for, for freeway expansion work. Right. To Adelaide, yeah, right, exactly. And what we found, and I think drivers on the 405 know this very well, you know, we just within a year of completion, rush hour traffic was just as tied up right on the 405. And what happens is, you know, when you widen freeways, it it can increase traffic because it leads to sort of housing development along the fringes and encourages more vehicle trips. And so, you know, this progress, I suppose, that's being touted in these freeway projects doesn't necessarily come to fruition. And so that's another question about why we're asking families. And again, the families affected the first time and neighborhoods affected the first time to once again sacrifice for solutions that may not, uh, that may not ultimately solve the problems that everyone says they will. So what you're saying is you both eradicate neighborhoods and communities without necessarily solving the gridlock problem. Exactly. Hmm. Again, that's Los Angeles Times reporter Liam Dillon. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. After leading the state through two of its worst wildfire seasons on record, Cal Fire Chief Tom Porter has announced he will retire before the end of this year. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. In an email to department staff, Porter said he was retiring to focus on family, his aging parents, and himself. Governor Gavin Newsom appointed Porter in January of 2019. His tenure was shorter than previous department leaders, but Porter steered Cal Fire through record-setting wildfire seasons driven by decades of poor forest management and climate change. He at times struck a somber tone about the state's wildfire crisis. Here he is at a press conference in August. Every acre in California can and will burn someday. Just make sure that you're ready when it does. As chief, Porter placed a greater emphasis on the need for fire prevention, including forest thinning and prescribed burning. However, the state has made inconsistent progress towards its ambitious goals. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. 
And that is the California Report for Tuesday, November 16th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you tomorrow. And in regional news, today Chico Mayor Andrew Coolidge was served a notice of intention to circulate recall petition by the grassroots organization Chico Voters. District 1 Councilor Sean Morgan was served earlier in the day as well. This is the second time both Coolidge and Morgan have been put on notice by the residents of their districts. Spokesperson for Chico Voters, Morgan Kennedy, stated, quote, Now that we have served both men with corrected notices, we will work closely with city and county officials to ensure that we move quickly to the next phase. It's clear that everyone involved wants this recall election to be on the June ballot. End quote. The group says the grounds for recalling Andrew Coolidge include incompetence, fiscal irresponsibility, and disregard for the law. They cite similar reasons for Councillor Morgan, specifying no-bid contracts and special interest groups. In honor of Native American Heritage Month, tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., the California State Parks Ports Program will speak with Nevada City Nissanon Tribal Spokesperson Shelley Covert at the South Yuba River State Park. The talk, entitled Landscapes in California State Park, or Ubaseo, a native landscape, honors the Nisanon and highlights the struggle they still face to be recognized and respected in their homeland. Covert will speak about the connection of the Nisanon people to their ancestral lands, which includes the unique relationship with the Yuba River, or Ubaseo, its Nisanon language name. You can watch the live interview tomorrow on the California State Parks Ports Facebook page. In an article entitled, Angry, Violent, Toxic, How Extremists Are Drowning Out Local California Governments, the Sacramento Bee takes us to Shasta County, where for much of the past two years, local extremists have swarmed their board meetings, viewing a toxic mix of conspiracy theories and violent rhetoric under the pretext of a rebellion against Governor Gavin Newsom's pandemic edicts, rules that officials in Shasta County were mostly ignoring anyway, and a variety of other complaints. At one point, a man in a Grim Reaper costume stood before the Shasta County Board and tried to set a surgical mask on fire. Another man announced he was placing board members under citizen's arrest. Local officials have said conspiracy theories at town meetings are a staple of democracy, and local policy debates regularly get heated. But many agree this appears to be something else entirely. A board member says the rhetoric is filled with threats and coercion, intimidation, and lies. From Modesto to Placerville, Sacramento to Oroville to Redding, this terrorization of county board members and meetings has spread across California as far-right extremists and anti-government activists mobilized to disrupt the work of local elected officials. In Rockland, law enforcement now attends school board meetings, which have become increasingly contentious and riddled with misinformation and conspiracies. Quote, you're going to need a lot more police than that, says Matthew Cropley, a parent, at one of the meetings. He claimed that separating unmasked and masked students is a form of modern segregation comparable to slavery, Native American genocide, and Japanese internment camps. The Sacramento Bee spoke to a former police chief who says what really bothers him is that no thoughtful, civic-minded people will want to become public servants if they're under constant personal attack from the extremist fringe. And now for your regional forecast. For those in Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 44. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near 60. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 24 and winds up to 10 miles per hour.
Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 50. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the Truckee Tahoe region. The next storm will push into the region Thursday into Friday, bringing breezy conditions with very light snowfall across Sierra Passes. Some light showers could push into western Nevada depending on the track of the storm. Wind gusts up to 30 miles per hour are possible. Some travel impacts can be expected. And for our friends to the south, in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 45. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 63. The Caldor Fire ravaged many of Tahoe's beloved trails, and rebuilding efforts are gearing up to be extensive. As Tahoe Fund CEO Amy Berry explains, the rebuilding process will be a marathon, not a sprint. We're talking with Amy Berry. She's the CEO from the Tahoe Fund and uh, also going to focus on the Caldor Restoration Fund. I guess it has a longer name. Why don't you explain it all, Amy? Oh, sure. Well, thanks for having me on. So the Tahoe Fund, we're a nonprofit in Lake Tahoe, and our whole focus is on improving the Tahoe environment uh, through philanthropy. And right now we're really focused on the area in South Lake Tahoe where the Caldor Fire not only burned through, but the amazing suppression efforts the firefighters did to save the town unfortunately destroyed a ton of trails. So we're looking at about a little over 15 miles of trails that were destroyed either through the fire or fighting the fire. And so we have now just started something called the Caldor Trails Restoration Fund. And our goal is to raise as much money as we can to help restore those trails. And working with TAMBA, which is the Tahoe Area Mountain Bike Association, the Tahoe Rim Trail Association, and then of course the U.S. Forest Service. I would assume that restoring trails not only depends on human effort, but also mother nature. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, um, Right now, the area is closed because it's just too dangerous to have folks out there. There's so many hazard trees and there's just soot holes and, you know, trees fall over and their roots come up and it's um, it might look okay, but it's quite dangerous out there. So what it's going to take is a little bit of Mother Nature. Maybe um, the winds will blow this winter and knock some of those trees over for us. Um, And then we need to get out there and really assess the damage and then start rebuilding. And so some of that can just be done with volunteer labor. A lot of it's going to require some heavy equipment, some machinery, and that's really where the funding comes in. We're going to need to hire some professional crews to work with volunteers to to get things back in shape. And, you know, we'll start this spring, but it's going to be a multi-year effort. It could take up to 10 years, really. You know, the land was so impacted with that high severity fire. So we're going to have a lot of erosion issues. So it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of putting the trails back so people can enjoy them, but in a way where we're protecting the environment at the same time. And I guess, like you said, the real work probably doesn't start till spring, but right now is when you get geared up for it and you start raising funds. How can people help you support this? Yeah, you can go on TahoeFund.org right on the homepage. There's a button for the Caldor Trails Restoration Fund. You know, the more money we can raise, the more quickly we'll be able to get these trails repaired. We'll be able to get professionals on the scene. Um, And if you're interested in working on some of the trails, you know, our partners at TAMBA and the Rim Trail Association are always looking for good trail volunteers. They have some amazing training. You can learn how to run a a chainsaw if you want to. So, yeah, you you can get involved either financially um, or you can, you know, show up with uh, elbow grease, you know, roll up those sleeves and dig in. Explain to people what TAMBA is. 
Oh, Tambo, sorry, I hate using acronyms. It's a Tahoe Area Mountain Bike Associate Mountain Biking Association. So they have built a number of the trails in South Lake that were destroyed, unfortunately. And and even though they're the biking association, a lot of those trails are multi-use. So it's biking, hiking, equestrian. And then of course the Tahoe Rim Trail, about two miles of rim trail was um, impacted by the fire up by Echo Summit. So um, they're going to need some help putting that single track back down in place where the fire went through. So give people a website to go to and a phone number in case they are internet challenged. Sure, tahofund.org. And you can call 775-298-0035. Very good. I know it's a long project. And like you said, it's not just something that's going to happen overnight, but it's good that you're getting started right now. We wish you the best. Oh, thank you. Thanks for helping us get the word out. You know, everybody loves trails. We always say, you know, losing your favorite trail is kind of like losing your best friend. And so if we can get, get more trails rebuilt, I think we'll just be in a better place in general for everybody. That's Amy Berry, the CEO for the Tahoe Fund. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. We close tonight's newscast with Money Matters. Mark Cuniberti is here with your weekly dose of stock market and sticker price analysis. And I must say, it's a wild ride in the financial world out there. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cuniberti. The economy continues to give analysts much to dwell on, as it seems like almost daily we get more news, some of it making sense and some of it not so much. Inflation rages on and is capturing headlines almost daily. Astonishing price increases are causing consumer sticker shock at the grocery store, hardware store, gas pump, and just about everywhere else that sells something. Seems like everything is going up in price, and in the face of these price increases, Washington continues to churn out more dollars to the order of trillions of dollars for a seemingly endless parade of stimulus programs. One would think the government has never heard of monetary inflation, which is the worst and most common kind, which is a result of introducing more and more currency into an economy. However, the rank and file of economic analysts that I read are using the word hyperinflation more and more lately, although detailed in last week's Money Matters newscast, if you don't know what hyperinflation is, it's inflation on steroids and some. Meanwhile, record numbers of people are quitting their jobs. Some news media outlets are reporting that people are resigning to find higher-paying jobs elsewhere. That's all well and good, but likely not completely true. If it were, there would not be a massive amount of job vacancies, somewhere like over 10 million job vacancies, while many businesses are still struggling to fill job openings. More likely, and also covered widely on the evening news, are the massive resignations from vaccine mandates. The mass anti-vaccine protests don't resemble the BLM crowds just yet, but they are definitely on the increase. A variety of economic statistics continue to illustrate a plethora of contradictions, puzzling many an analyst. The stock market plows relentlessly higher, seemingly oblivious to any and all negative news on the economy. While supply-side shortages are causing empty store shelves in more than a few supermarkets and big-box stores, scattered reports of consumer hoarding of certain goods is exasperating the problem. Prognostications of a stock market Armageddon-like crash is offset by other analysts insisting the stock market has a lot further to run. 
With violent stock rotations, whipsawing retirement balances, it's hard for mom-and-pop investors to know which way to turn. The buy-and-hold crowd continue to oscillate between fear and greed. One month they are hammered, like the three-week 38% wipeout of the Dow in March of 2020. While the next 12 months saw the Dow almost double to where it is now. Meanwhile, the crypto crowd runs amok, trading the hundreds of cybercoin versions that followed in the footsteps of Bitcoin. Stories of overnight zillionaires tempt many a new investor. Trading cybercoin is challenging, to say the least. From talking with those that trade cybercoins and in my limited experience of doing it, navigating the different exchanges that handle cybercoins are confusing and tricky. Probably a few experienced coin traders out there might tell me a different story, but from what I hear, it's like the Wild West in the cybercoin arena. In summary, the whole trading and investing climate seems a bit crazy right now. Wild speculation seems the order of the day with IPOs, SPACs, known as SPACs, cybercoin, and many more asset classes classes bouncing wildly. This insane action is likely reflecting the trillions in money sloshing around, most of it manufactured by the feds and the other central bankers of the world, to minimize the effect of COVID and the subsequent economic damage it has caused. I hope it all works out somehow, but I have to admit, I sometimes have my doubts that it will. That's it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed are my opinions only and not to be construed as investment advice and may not represent those of this radio station, its staff members, or underwriters. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, November 16th. Here's something you want to listen to again or missed a part of an interview? You can always listen to expanded versions of our stories and interviews on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Stick around. Up ahead at 6.30, we have Educationally Speaking. On tonight's episode, Nevada County Superintendent of Schools Scott Lay talks with Countywide Geography Tournament Coordinator Dan Zeisler. Then we get to hear from the champions themselves. Lay sits down with several 7th grade winners from this fall's geography tournament. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Joyce Miller will be back with you Thursday. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. (laughs) 